May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Kuk Audio Podcast. I'm DC, Pubov Kuk Audio and Kuk Archives, preserving the legacy of Shinju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind, I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Paul Shippey. Uh, Paul was, wow, I think he was the first podcast guest where the podcast was devoted to having a guest. So (laughs) almost three years ago. Uh, three years ago, and where would that be? Probably in May 2019. Is that right? 2020, pardon me. 2020. You know, at the beginning, early days of the uh, COVID uh, phenomenon. Anyway, um, there he, he talked at length about his Zen practice, his history of coming to Zen Center and then going to study with Trungpa and uh, uh, and, and especially about his meditation. It's really good. And uh, he's going to focus uh, today more on talking about uh, his work with nonviolent communication in VC and a, an, up, an upcoming workshop uh, in VC and Buddhism uh, that uh, you can... You can uh, Learn about it other than um, what you hear here by going to paulshippey.com, P A U L S H I P P E E.com. And look, when you get to his website, it says workshops, and then you click the down arrow, and you got two choices MVC or Buddhism MVC. What you want is Buddhism MVC. That's the one that he's plugging right now. And that's just going to be uh, a, a Tuesday, hour and a half class. I think four times, maybe more. I can't remember. You'll hear. And you can read it there. Uh, when you go to uh, Buddhism NVC, uh, you have a choice, registration or info. So look at the info and then register uh, if you're of such a mind. Anyway. Uh, Paul's a, a dear old friend, uh, as we say in the podcast. I always visit him when I'm in Crestone. And, um, yeah, interesting guy. Uh, first, I, the first thing I heard about him is he, I, got, I don't think I asked him about it this, this time. It's probably on, you know, I have an interview with him on, on Cuke.com. I mean, there's various things through the years I have with him. I, I think, I remember hearing about him when he first came out. It was the late sixties that he'd come out to be an engineer on the uh, second level of the Bay Bridge. You know, a lot of things I think I find out were wrong. Uh, so I'll have to ask: Is that true or not? So right now, you can just put it in the in the I think I remember that category. But look, there's nothing more to say. 
Let's just uh, give Paul Shippey a call. That'll be right after the pause to meditate. So when you hear the bell, if you have such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you want. And when you think you're in that perfect state of mind to come back in, hit unpause and we'll be there to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. And we'll give Paul Shippey a call. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Doing okay. Yeah. My daughter just left. Hmm. She visited today. Hmm. Hmm. Where does she live? She, she lives here with Zigar uh, Kontro Rinpoche, a Tibetan Lama. She's his partner and chief of staff. And she lives here with five minutes away, ten minutes away. And... Uh, she comes over once a week to spend uh, half a day or more with me, help me out uh, on the roof, on the computer, whatever I need, you know, vacuum cleaner, uh, computer, wizardry, things I don't know how to handle. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. of that. Oh, that's great. Hmm. Hey, did your, did your partner ever come back to Bali? Yeah. Yeah, we've been living here um, almost nine years. But she had to go away at some point for a couple of years, or she couldn't get no, back in? No, I no, 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 not that bad. She goes every year to America, unless her son Seth comes here, which happened once. In fact, she is going to arrive in Seattle in about ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> And um, uh, but the first year of COVID, she was stuck there four months. I see. That was that fine. Was that was fine. She was staying with her son, and she visited uh, Clay. You know, my younger son. Oh, oh yeah, sure. And um, oh. she'll visit him and his uh, two daughters and his mate. Um, oh, yeah, and two daughters. In uh, December. She'll be there in December. Yeah. I, I got your notice that uh, you've got this um, workshop coming up, or I don't know what to call it. I can't remember. And uh, I thought, hmm, hmm, time to talk to Paul again. Uh, and uh, so what, why don't you explain what that is and uh, what's coming up? Yeah, well, it's called a Buddhist NBC, Buddhist and nonviolent communication, something like that. Mm -hmm. With the, with the, and it, what it does is the classes I've been teaching on zoom in the past three years. Uh, and before that, since, uh, since 15 years was called nonviolent communication and Buddhist mindfulness. So mm -hmm. it's flipping the emphasis. So it's leading with Buddhism and then going in, in, and, and using NBC as a, as a secondary support. Now, let me ask you something about the schedule. 
Uh, when do you start it? We started on uh, November fifteenth. Oh, good. Uh, at four at, at four o'clock. Good. Uh, and it's an hour and a half, and we meet every other Tuesday. Hmm. Hmm. I say good because I'm 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 going to post this on Saturday. Wanted to make sure okay. I got him before it. Hmm. All right. Yeah, and um, what's to know about that is there's a link uh, that has a page that goes to a page for information about this new f- workshop, which is an evolution of from the old one, which is not old. I'm still doing one of those right now. We're going into our fifth week or fifth session um, oh. on Tuesday. Um, so it, it's not that I'm not doing the other one with the NBC emphasis first. It's that I'm adding something onto it that's been gnawing at me for months, if not years. And I finally figured out or got the courage to offer it as a class, a limited class, four sessions only, um, hour and a half each, every other Tuesday. And then with the provision that if people want to continue after the four sessions, then we can go for another four sessions. But I'm only committing at first to four sessions because I, I want to see how it goes. It's an experiment, David. It's an experiment yeah. in bringing a lot of my perceptions of the deficiencies of American Buddhism and the uh, support that can be had through nonviolent communication and vice versa, by the way. Um, so it's a it's an experiment to bring those two together. And, and I guess the hard part is finding the right audience. So I put out these notices which you got one and then you called me or emailed me. Um, and that's, that's something I've been gnawing at in my mind and my heart for uh, quite a while, some years, few years, several years. Mm. Uh, I can tell you the root of it, where it sprang from. If I mean, I, that would seem to be the interesting part, I guess. But give me the link. Uh, the link. Okay. I'll have to read it. Um, I could send it. I have in trouble with my email. David, um, a lot of the emails haven't haven't been going through. So I called my my server people, HostGator, and they're working on it. So I don't know, but I can read you the link here. Yeah, I can read it to you and and um, send, send it too. Okay, I'll do both. Um, let me see where it is here. It's in the. I'm, I'm is it in the emails you send out? Ah, uh, yeah. But I don't know if you're getting, yeah, well, I, when you say emails, it's in, it's in some emails uh, more recently because I made some corrections. Um, l- let me see if I can find, uh, I could just read it to you. Yeah. Um, if you if, I can tell you how to find it. If you go to paulshippy.com. Yeah. Um, and you, and, and you go to the. Well, I'm, I'm going to walk you right through it right now. If you go to paulshippy.com and you go up in the menu, there's, there's something that says workshops. Yeah. Hey, you're knocking on and, the mic or something. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something that says workshops. And then if you look at the drop down from there, there's two items. One that says NBC workshop, which is the one I've been doing forever. And the next one down says Buddhism slash NBC class. 
And that's the one we're talking about. And if you slide over from that, from the menu, to the side bar that opens up, it goes into Buddhist NBC, which is the official name of the class, uh, info. And then underneath that, there's another selection, which is registration. So I want to send people to the info. And then from there, they can go to the registration. Because the info is is a letter that I wrote some time ago explaining my ideas about why I'm doing this. And so, shall I read you that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's paulshippy.com forward slash. Yeah. And uh, I think we should say it's Paul Shippey, S-H-I-P-P-E-E dot com. Yes. Right. Dot com forward slash. And then there's four words that follow that. The first word is new, N-E-W. Yeah. And then there's a dash. Yeah. And the next word is Buddhism with a small b. It doesn't matter, small or big there. These are all lowercase anyway. After Buddhism, there's another dash. And the third word is NVC. N as in nonviolent communication. NVC. Right? Yeah. NVC. And then there's another dash. The last word is class. Yeah. So All new right. Buddhism NBC class with a dash between each word. Yeah. So that as a as a thing after the forward slash will bring you to the the info page which tells all about the class and you can also register from there. It says registration click here, registration click here. Uh, further thoughts about NBC uh, about Buddhism and NBC uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like maybe one or two pages, not very, not mu- not much. Yeah. All right. And at the top, you might have noticed this. It says NBC is the legwork. Buddhism is the heavy lifting. That's just a little slogan that occurred to me one day, a couple of months ago. And I don't want to make a big deal about that slogan, but it, it does appear at the top of the page. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I like kind it. Of, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I like it, but I don't think I don't. Just wonder how it strikes uh, other people. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so re- read it. Read it to you. You want to? Only if you well, want. Well, let's see. I'm, I can talk about it. Yeah, just talk it. about you know, it. Just talk about it. Yeah, I can talk about it. Um. Uh, Let me just read the first um, paragraph, and then I'll talk about the rest. Okay, it says, a new series of classes. We will introduce a new series of classes in Buddhist practice and study that will take us beyond parentheses and include NBC, meeting every other Tuesday, 4 to 5.30 p.m., which is Mountain Time, for four sessions starting November 15th. 2022. I would like to share traditional wisdom teachings from both the Tibetan and Japanese and Buddhist world views that I have studied and practiced for decades. These wisdom teachings are applicable to our daily modern lives and will address our personal interests in spiritual development. They are based on the teachings in America of Zen master Suzuki Roshi, and meditation master Chogyam Trungpa. 
Mm. So that's the first. That's the first paragraph. So mm. um, you might say, um, oh, okay. Let me read the second paragraph because it gets a little more clear. One aspect of these classes is to track where NBC and Buddhist psychology fit together and can enhance each other in North American society. It has been said that to enjoy a sane and peaceful culture, we need religion forward slash spirituality, psychology, and social science. We will explore how the strengths and relative weaknesses of both NBC and American Buddhism can be identified and used to support each other to meet healthy spiritual and social slash relationship needs. Mm. So that's a, that's the first two paragraphs. That's 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 kind of introductory. Mm. Orient people like where I'm coming from on the surface, anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, your invitation to talk about it makes me makes me. Uh, inclined to um, tell you how this 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 combination of Buddhism and NBC arose. Yeah, sure, do. Why I'm doing it. Um, uh, well, obviously, I've been involved with both for years. I mean, Buddhism for 50 years and NBC for 16 years now. Buddhism uh, longer than 50 years. Yeah, maybe you know, close to 60. <laughs> <laughs> As long as I've known you. Yeah, that was... Um, um, Bush, Bush Street. I don't know. That was on Bush Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, late 60s, and then Tassahara, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 67 when I first came to the Bush Street Zendo, and I met you shortly after that, and then um, I had to go away to the East Coast. So I got meditation instruction, and I met Suzuki Roshi, and I went. Uh, I went to a, a lecture. Uh, we don't have to go into that part. No, it's um, all. We uh, talked about that on uh, earlier um, yeah. uh, podcasts, uh, though. Right. Um, but it's it's good to uh, refresh our memory, you know. Okay. So um, yeah. So around 1967, after. Um, being an actor, uh, after being a civil engineer, and, and then I worked in that for maybe around a year. Then I had to go into the Army for six months for that program that was at that time under John Kennedy. And then uh, um, then I went into acting and music and um, uh, made friends with all the people in San Francisco in the revolution, counterculture, artists, artists, people. Janice Saplin was a friend of mine, for example, like personal and uh, like, you know, Peter Coyote, I met in that time early, early on in 1964. Um, so, you and Peter remained close. Yes, we have. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and we still are. And um, uh, I was hoping he would take this class. He might. Some of his students are going to take this class. So he is certainly going to know about it, and he does know about it because I told him about it. Yeah, he's but, a busy um, guy. Yeah, trying to nail him down. <laughs> well, he's got so much going on now. Like yeah, coming out with two 
two or three books in one scoop there and having to promote them and all of that. And then maybe he's got some more writing to do. And then he's got classes at the, and trying to b- bring people into Buddhism as a teacher. And he's got his hands full. Yeah. No question. So anyway, um, so then, um, uh, so then I went back to the East coast and recovered from an illness, uh, from taking too many drugs and, and, uh, and, and coming down with hepatitis C. A lot of us did. Peter Coyote came down with hepatitis C as well. A lot of us did. One of my sisters did. So I was one of those who, uh, who contacted hepatitis C. So I, I, uh, my brother sent me a one-way ticket. I was they were down and out, uh, at that point. Um, but I was living with two actresses that invited me to hear a talk by Suzuki Roshi at the Bush temple, Bush street temple. And, uh, so I went and, uh, although it didn't quite register fully at the time, I realized that of all my searching, like into science and engineering, which was my college and work life in my early twenties, and then into art and music and acting to search, to wake up my right brain, which was getting and starving for attention. Um, so I needed to pay attention to that. So um, I went into acting and uh, married a beautiful woman who's an actress. We made a movie together. And uh, anyway, at the end of all that, I got sick and went back home. My brother sent me a one-way ticket. He knew I was in trouble. And uh, so I recovered for two, two, almost two years in Connecticut and then in Manhattan and New York City, all the time sitting every day. Um, and if I had trouble concentrating, I would smoke a little dope. And that would help me concentrate for 20 minutes. I was mm. determined to learn meditation. And then in New York City, I got a job with the, um, a nice job with the New York City Department of Welfare. And uh, my case study was the black women with single moms in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. Uh, and I was all going over there and trying to dispense money so they could feed their kids. And um, uh, we'd come home and meditate every day. And one day I saw in the Village Voice a picture of Peter Schneider, who was a college friend of mine, him and his brother both. And I, and I was sitting every day and I was trying to learn meditation more and more. And I looked at that picture in the Village Voice newspaper and I said, well, if Peter Schneider can do it, I can do it. He was, had, he was being touted as the director of Chasahara at the time. Yeah. So I immediately, I immediately called up you know, the Zen Center and got on the phone with Yvonne telling her, I want to go, I want to go, I want to learn more meditation, not just a half an hour after work every day, but I want to go full time and I want to go to Tassajara. So I, I, I got back to San Francisco where I had left a motorcycle behind and I sold that and gave me tuition for the first semester, the first training period in 1960, was that 99, I guess the fall training period. And, um, and then I became valuable to the community because I was a good mechanic in the shop. So I took charge of the shop yeah. and I got free tuition, free tuition for the next three, uh, the next three, um, what do you call them? Training periods. Yeah. Lasting two years. Yeah. Yeah. While I was in Tassajara and my fourth training period there, um, uh, my roommate, his name was Van, he came back after the winter break with some tapes of Trungpa and asked me if I wanted to listen to them. And I said, no, I had already seen Trungpa over Christmas 
uh, of that year. That would have been coming into the year of 71, January of 71. And I saw uh, Trungpa was at the Zen Center meeting Suzuki Roshi. He gave a community talk. I went to that. I asked a question from the far back of the room. You know, I was just there temporarily at City Center until the next training period would start in January 15th or 20th, whenever that was. And um, so I asked the question from far back. I don't remember what I asked and I don't remember what he said, but I do remember one thing was that he spoke. He didn't speak like a bureaucrat. He spoke directly to me, even though I was way back in the room. He seemed to grasp what I was asking uh, beyond the words almost. And, and I, I never forget the feeling of that. That was kind of like a feeling. And um, so, so he comes, so my roommate Van comes a, a couple of weeks later into, into the to start of the fourth training period, my fourth training period in January of 71. And uh, he's, he's got this stack of tapes and asked me if I would offer to share them. And I, I kind of said, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. But one thing I was doing was in the reading study period after morning meditation every day, um, I found myself reflecting back, reading only Tibetan Buddhist books like Lama Govinda, the Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism, and The Life of Naropa, and these other books that I somehow didn't know what I was doing. But And I was trying to understand this, this uh, teaching uh, called the Six Paramitas in, in Tibetan Buddhism. Called what? And uh, Six Paramitas, mm-hmm. or Six six um, uh, transcendental behaviors or qualities that a person can have to start out, needs to develop on the, on the spiritual path. And the first one is generosity. And the, the second one is um, um, discipline. And then the third one is patience. And then the next one is exertion or energy. And then the next one is meditation or samadhi. And the last one is prajna, or wisdom, or clear seeing. So those those teachings I was trying to read in a book I got out of the Tassajara Library, but it was like reading uh, uh, English translations of Japanese translations of Chinese. And I, I couldn't quite get the drift of what they were saying, but I was still interested. Right in the midst of that study, Van shows up with this tape, and I saw on his table in his room one morning, we were roommates, uh, this tape called the six paramitas. And uh, I said, well, I'm just trying to understand that. Why don't I sit down and get a tape recorder and play these audio tapes? And I got in trouble for not showing up at this in the, in the study period, I would stay in my cabin and, and, and turn on the tape machine and listen to Trungpa expound or teach about the six paramitas. And it came across the content and the clarity with which he explained the six paramitas was so clear, um, it, like a bell went off in my head. It was the clarity that he explained. Mm. And I said, oh, so that's what I've been studying. Trungpa had a command of, of, of English language right away when he came to America. And um, so anyway, I, I, at the end of the training period, after three months, I heard that he was going to be in Oakland. California, uh, giving a talk. And so I made arrangements with some friends to stay uh, with them when I went up there to San Francisco. I went over to Oakland and sat in the front row, waited for 
Trumplet to appear. And then he comes and gives a talk. And I had written him a letter asking him if he thought it was a good plan to move from Zen Buddhism in America, for an American to move from Zen Buddhism over to Tibetan Buddhism. Anyway, I don't know what he said. He never answered it, but he did talk to me. And I went over to Berkeley. He was staying in Sam Burkholz's house, the uh, founder of Shambhala Publications. And uh, Sam was was just at a bookstore at the time uh, in Berkeley. And I met Trungpa, and I asked if I could become his student. Not not one month after I had left Tassajara. And um, I considered strongly whether or not I should become a Zen priest as a way of giving back what I had learned from two years of meditation at Tassajara as a monk meditation. And uh, I decided that I wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't going to go to get priest ordination. I wasn't going to go on that path. And I was going to go, uh, I wanted to go and uh, study more with Trungpa. So as far as I know, I was the first one to leave or one of the first ones to leave the Zen Center and go become a student of Trungpa. Anyway, yeah, so that yeah, starts you might have been. Yeah. So, so, that, so that starts a, a career of a studying, to, uh, combining both Zen, which is kind of silent uh, Buddhism in a lot of ways, because there's not a lot of teachings uh, in terms of philosophy and stuff. There's, there's core, you know, sayings and koans and whatnot, but there's... Um, but in Tibetan Buddhism, it's lavishly supplied with intellectual properties that expound about the Buddhist teachings and the Buddhist virtues. So anyway, I entered that. But what I noticed, even at even in Tassajara and even at the city center in San Francisco, the San Francisco Zen Center, city center, um, what I noticed... Uh, and this became the key to why I'm teaching this class here. What I noticed, I wasn't fully fully conscious of it at the time, but I started to notice that uh, that Zen students and Tibetan Buddhist students both did not they didn't seem very friendly. They didn't seem <laughs> to have relationship skills. They didn't seem to have relationship skills, and so. As I became more gradually aware of that, as the years went by, um, I started to study psychology because I started having children, and and I wanted to treat them right. I didn't want to damage them, so I started studying psychology, and um, to keep a step ahead of their development as children, and I started to learn more about myself, which is that I I didn't have relationship skills either. You know, and and so um, I felt like um, I wasn't very happy about that. And as I became more self-aware in terms of psychology, I realized that I grew up in a family <clears throat> all during childhood in which emotions were not on the table. Emotions were not mentioned. They were not taught. There was no emotional life. There was a uh, roof over the head and a new shoes for fall going back to school. We were lower middle class. There was enough food, but there was not really what I would call happiness. Um, there was a Protestant quality and 
feelings and emotions were, and I wasn't aware of, the, of that I was missing anything. I just thought that's the way life was. Mm. But as I began mingled, as I ming- began to mingle in the in the community, both the Zen community and the Tibetan um, in Boulder, especially where I moved to, uh, I began to realize that uh, that. Well, I, I used to when I first started to become aware of it. I used the word emotional starvation. That was the quality of my existence in the Buddhist sangha. Now, whether that was due to my lack of skills or whether it was due to people are are um, uh, in general, uh, I began to be realized that I'm not the only one who was emotionally deprived in, in childhood. Most people are. That's what I learned over time, and not just Buddhists. However. People that come to Buddhism seem to be a little bit more wounded or conscious of it and seeking something. They may not know what it is, mm-hmm. but it results in a non-friendly atmosphere with not a lot of warmth. So in the, in the year 2006, when I was building my house here, I came across an article and a, and a New, Dimension, New Dimensions radio show where Michael Toms was interviewing Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of nonviolent communication. And as soon as I didn't need to hear that twice, I knew exactly that was the missing nonviolent communications was focusing on becoming aware of feelings and how to identify them and express them. And also become aware of needs, universal human needs of Mm. which neither of which was on my agenda and, 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 my I, my perception was that um, the whole society, culture, American Western society, is um, uh, emotionally illiterate and needs did not have a literacy of needs either. So those two things played a big important part, and I dove in and started teaching NBC almost right away because I understood it immediately because of because of my emotional starvation i know i needed something and buddhism was not providing it and so we get to the next point which is why is buddhism not providing it well um my take on that is that buddhism comes from a culture that is uh grounded in a long history of uh, ancestors and communal worship and family bondages. And they don't have any real pressing need to develop relationships because the relationships are mapped out on this communal uh, framework where uh, any expression of I, me, and mine is actually frowned upon. And you must put the group first, whichever, whatever the group happens to be. Whereas in America, I learned much later that the quality, the main characteristic was um, that we had cultivated uh, a hegemony of individualistic mindset. And that for Buddhism to come over here and teach us about relationships, it's like trying to get to the moon on a bicycle. <laughs> so, um, I began to see that they cannot teach us anything about emotions because they don't need to learn that in their own culture. The cultures are so disparate and different that it just doesn't apply. So you have these llamas coming over here 
trying to teach us about Buddhism, and all, all the Buddhist teachings are fine, but when it comes to relationships, they can help us. So gradually, I begin to understand that we have to do this ourselves. This is our North American uh, way. We must. We have to take on the task of undermining uh, the hegemony of individualistic mindset in, in the Western world in order to produce the actual fruits of Buddhism uh, properly, the warmth and the connection and uh, the compassion, and then the wisdom. And that won't grow if we're huddled into uh, our old family, non-emotional uh, being, and we don't know how to nurture relational mindset. So I'm putting this class together, David, in order to overcome the deficiencies of of relationships in Buddhism, the lack of relationships in Buddhism, lack of relationship skills, and to teach people or encourage people and, and do this together, uh, share the, the need. In order to have Buddhism thrive in America, we have to undermine the hegemony of the individualistic mindset. That's that's what, how I've come to see what I'm doing. Um, so, um, how does uh, nonviolent communication? Well, uh, can you give some example? Yeah, like when I hear nonviolent communication, I think, well, talking with somebody without uh, hitting them. <laughs> Well, on the other end of that spectrum, um, yeah, for sure. But on the other end of that spectrum, uh, Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of uh, of nonviolent communication, who I trained with extensively, uh, paid to go down to Albuquerque and go to uh, international intensive seminars, uh, you know, residential training programs, hmm. nonviolent communication. What he says. You know, I took I took training with him and more than once, but that was the the fact, you know, when you go down there for nine days and you're living in the building with other people from around the world who came from Australia and other places to learn NBC, you, you, you get a good training. And then I've taken other trainings from him in Boulder at Naropa Institute when he would come up and give a, a weekend or some of his uh, protégés would come up and teach. And I've been trained by a lot of his um, a lot of his uh, students, let's say, who are mm-hmm. turned into teachers. Uh, and so, um, but, um, what, what he says, Marshall Rosenberg said one time, he said, consider even, uh, the use of the word should, when you tell somebody something should be a certain way, or they should do something differently, or they should be this, even that is considered to be like a germ of violence. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, uh, Remake them, or uh, you're not seeing them for what they are. And if Buddhism has anything to do with this, it's Suzuki Roshi's famous statement of uh, seeing things as it is, mm-hmm. rather than trying to tell somebody what to do by using the word should. That's not seeing, that's anti Dharmic. That's not seeing uh, what is. And that's also anti. Um, 
anti-dharmic and it's and, and it's and it's it's the seed of violence is right in there because you know better than the other person and you're going to tell them what's 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 right so there's one example another example is um when you talk about sharing power uh with people to be able to distinguish between power with others uh power over others and power under others so um nonviolent communi- communication would give us gives me anyway a way to look more accurately and more deeply at what i'm doing and gives me the tools to be able to i'll give you my biggest example what i needed the most i have grown up with a lot of anger because i didn't understand life and i was pissed off about it i didn't, i knew i didn't understand it. i was suffering and i i uh, was attracted to buddhism because i thought suzuki roshi impressed me so much the first time i heard him talk that i thought years later like how it hit me was hey there's a person i've been looking for you all my life that's how powerful suzuki roshi's presence hit me when i first my first talk that he that he gave on christmas uh in 1967 uh and so, um, to to be able to see what is and see clearly, you have to be able to accept people where they are, as it is, like she says, which has become one of the most famous <clears throat> phrases as it gets around the world. I've heard it coming from so many different quarters, people quoting him. And also, Buddhism is concerned with, in Tibetan Buddhism, is, 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 it's, it's taught to... Um, uh, see, the, the, the higher learning is based on the ability to see what is in a situation rather than what you want. And what you want is usually the seed of violence because you're pushing other people out of the way and you're putting an ego-based preference out there, dismissing other people, not even having any compassion at all or empathy for the other person's feelings or needs. And what that does is... Um, that's where violence comes from. It's not just hitting somebody. It's how you treat people and how they feel uh, when you interact with them. If they feel uh, like you're the kindest person they've ever met, uh, or do they feel, I better stay away from that guy or that girl because I don't feel good around them because they're always trying to tell me what what's what's right and what's wrong. So, uh, Marshall Rosenberg brings Rumi onto the stage, the poet, the Persian poet Rumi, with his saying in order to demonstrate about another little subtle quality of nonviolence. Uh, the saying of Rumi, which goes like this um, Somewhere out there, there is a meadow. Uh, somewhere out there, beyond ideas of right and wrong, there is a meadow. I'll meet you there. So that's quoted from Rumi and um, beyond ideas of right and wrong. That seems to be the key, the essence of nonviolence right there. Mm. Beyond ideas of right and wrong. Mm. If you go around thinking you're right and you approach people that way and interact with them, then that's, that's the root of violence. But I can tell you, David, as I mentioned earlier, a minute ago, the, 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 the best example that I have for my own reference for what happened to me is having been emotionally deprived, I developed a fair amount of anger 
in my in my life and personality um, because I didn't understand things. So I would just get angry. I just had that way. But at some point along the line, teaching nonviolent communication classes, it started to dawn on me uh, when we teach about feelings, for example, uh, feelings and needs, the awareness of feelings and needs is the is the crux of nonviolent communication teachings, uh, becoming aware of your feelings and needs. For me, almost like a miracle happened, which was um, I began to see a principle here, a psychological principle that underneath all anger, if you look closely enough and can pause in your anger, if you look underneath anger, you will find the emotion of hurt. So it becomes that anger is a sideshow for hurt. Mm. Anger covers up hurt. So anger it brings violence. You know, I, you know I, could, I could get angry and smack somebody or yell at them or dismiss them or call them names. But instead, if I were to look back off and just give myself some space, which is a quality that I learn in Buddhist meditation, give myself some space and let and around the anger, if I, I, I begin to see that underneath the anger, what's driving the anger is that I don't want to feel that hurt because it's painful. And in the Buddhist world, there's such a teaching, a Buddhist first teaching called the Four Noble Truths. And the first teaching of that is there is suffering. So I did not want to accept the suffering of the hurt. I would rather cover it up with anger and be done with it and come out righteous and brush the other person away and not care what anybody thought about me. So that's been a pattern that I have lived and I have come through to the other side when I learned that, can I have the capacity to feel the hurt? Yes, everybody has the capacity and Buddha emphasized that as his first teaching, the capacity to, to, to be able to realize that uh, in the first noble truth, that um, there is suffering in life and you have to face it. If you don't face it, uh, you're going to uh, be prone to violence, uh, prone to isolation. You're going to have lack of warmth and you might be successful, but you're going to be a jerk in many ways. By, uh, and you're not going to have kindness and compassion and empathy for people. So this, you see how the anger covered up the primal emotion the fundamental emotion, which was hurt. Now, where the hurt came from, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to figure everything out. Just understand that if you stay with the hurt and let it be there and just meet it and stay with it, it it eventually opens up to uh, why and where that hurt is coming from. But at least you have taken a step away from the cover-up violent emotion of anger. Not that all anger is, vi- is violent, but the, the, the other kinds of anger. I'm talking about this anger that people have that's a deeply emotional cover-up for they don't want to feel the hurt. Most anger is, is um, uh, how do you say, most anger is, a, well, it's a cover-up, a sideshow for hurt or sadness. If you go below the hurt, you might find sadness. And below that, you might even, if you stay with it long enough, which we do in the workshops, you stay with it long enough, you're going to find fear. Fear of what? Fear of the pain of feeling 
whatever it is you're feeling that might be difficult and you want to run away from. Mm. So uh, it's a psychological journey, whether it's in Buddhism or in nonviolent communication. It's trying to uh, clean up your act, so to speak, so that you can see other people and you can see what is. And you don't try to violently crush things that are in your way, in the way of your ego, let's say. So that's, does that explain about violence a little bit? Yeah, sure. That's a good explanation. Yeah, I, I've lived it, as you can tell, and I'm very happy about having come to understand these things. And, and the gift of Buddhism is to understand emptiness. And uh, we can understand that through meditation and some teachings. So when you combine the awareness of feelings and needs, which Buddhism does not offer as it comes from Asia over to the West, you combine Buddhist offerings of compassion and wisdom, um, including uh, the, the, whether you get it from direct experience or analysis, the idea of um, non-self, then combine that with NBC, um, we, can't, we could make a really good society out of that. So mm. I'm into building this. I'm, I'm into making little contribution uh, to a sane, what I conceive of as a sane society. That's yeah, the, well, you've, the, you've got plenty to work with there in America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is Bali, if, people in Bali are not, are they like that? Like what? Well, super individualistic. No, no, no. People here, um, well, the example I uh, tend to use is there's a lot of traffic here. There's too much. It's a problem. Uh, you know, there's tons and tons of motor scooters and motorcycles and cars and trucks. Right. And I've never seen road rage. Nine years. Wow. Nice. I've, I've uh, you know, the, w one thing that's really good here is you can turn in front of people. Uh, you know, yeah. there. There's a line of cars coming forever and, and motorbikes and everything. And all you need is just a, a little room, you know, where, where they have plenty of time to slow down. That's all. And people just do it, you know. Um, and they don't get and they don't get angry at you. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, oh, every once in a while I hear somebody honking somebody or something, you know, it's nothing, nothing. And, uh, um, Walking down the street. I mean, I mean, I spend a lot of time at home, especially when Katrina's gone working. That's mainly what I do. And uh, then I love to get out and go walk. And I'm just walk, walking. I walk, you know, walk to do something, and pretty much say hello to everyone, you know, uh, or just you know, good afternoon, good morning. What's happening? And very normal. Uh, I'll be passing somebody. They'll say, "Hi, ah, where are you going? Or where have you been?" America is characterized by uh, what uh, some people would call speed, speediness. People are speeding around. Yeah. And when you're speeding around, and it gets frenetic, uh, either driven by greed or uh, a desire to get ahead or or to avoid pain, 
even, uh, speed can cover up a lot of pain. Uh, you just jump from one thing to another to another, go home and, watch, and turn on the television or something, and, and just constantly occupied. There's no contemplative space. So meditation is being uh, spreading all over America pretty fast these days, hmm. whether it's Buddhism light or Buddhism heavy or Buddhism Asian, whatever it is. There's quite a lot of it um, being pushed out in certain magazines and media and social media. It's just all over the place. I mean, I'm, I follow it, so I'm probably more exposed than most people. But the more people I meet, when I tell them what I'm doing, they say, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. Uh, and so I feel like it's for for a large segment of the population, it seems like people are more and more open to uh, doing something about this crazy American speedy uh, lifestyle that people have that makes them run over other people and get anxious and depressed and have to take medications and uh, and go to cognitive behavioral uh, therapy. And, uh, and none of it works. And the medication doesn't work either. It just puts them in a zombie mode. And, um, you know, more and more people are wanting to get out of that. And I, mm. I, I'm hoping, I don't have any statistics, but it's just a sense I have. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So nonviolent yeah. communication, you, you, you get the drift that it's becoming aware of your own feelings and needs and the feelings and needs of other people. Mm-hmm. So that means if you're talking to somebody and they start babbling on, and they don't say anything about feelings and needs, but I mean, it, it's not an argument. They're just talking. Um, maybe they're complaining, but you develop the skill to like the graduate school, so to speak, in NBC is to what it, no matter what they're saying, you are, you're uh, put your attention behind what they're saying to be able to uh, ascertain what they're actually feeling and what they're needing, even though they're not saying that. You can get that from how they're talking and what they're saying. So when you have to bring a compassionate response or an empathic uh, connection, you you can address because you've, you're trained to look behind what they're actually saying, uh, even if it's violent, and 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 uh, and uh, ask them, uh, make a, take a guess. If, are you feeling angry? Are you feeling upset? Um, because you need um, more respect in your life, or Something like that, that that gives you a vehicle to uh, not just the word compassion, but it turns into you can turn uh, yourself into an act of compassion by doing that. Mm, mm, mm. Well, well, that's good. I've, I've uh, you know, I've uh, learned more about uh, nonviolent communication uh, today than I. I knew. I mean, I've 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 heard you talking about it that you're doing it and this and that, but um, you've never. Uh, we never got to the point where you explained it uh, this much. Um, yeah. Hmm. Mm. Well, I'm glad you invited me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the complaints I used to hear, you know, dealing with guests so much uh, at Tassahara. And 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 uh, was uh, why aren't the students more friendly? You know, um, why is every mm-hmm. you know? And I'd say, oh, they're tired and they're working hard and they get up early and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I said they really 
they're really not unfriendly. They're just, uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe being a little introverted or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> May your teaching of NBC and Buddhism prosper, and you have many good students. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. I I enjoy it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I do it because I enjoy, I I enjoy. I get the warmth and the friendliness is by engaging students in workshops and yeah. putting on workshops and inviting people. I get a lot out of that. I get the friendliness and the sociability that you can never get on the street in America or uh, generally and never get in social media and never get in movies and never get um, at work either or in a bar for that matter. Um, don't get it anywhere. What I get from teaching uh, uh, these engaging these people I love these people, and it gives me a chance to love people. How, how I can see into them. They're, they talk about they, they're learning. They're eager to learn it, and they, 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 they want they want to be able to express feelings because they haven't learned how to do it. And seeing them learn how to do that and sharing that with them, I feel just a warmth with them. I just have love in my heart for that for those people that are trying to do this. So it's it's easy for me. It's not it's not. I mean, it takes effort, but. It's, it's easy effort. It's not like a drag or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've always enjoyed uh, visiting with you. When are you coming back? No plans. I'd like to see you in Crestone sometime. It's possible. I have I have a Tassahara story for you you might like. You have a, a, a Tassahara story, you said? Yes. I am very eager to hear it. Okay, so... The first time I went to Tassahara to uh, my first training period, um, I got there and I parked my truck and I uh, got my room and I uh, was informed that we have to get up. Um, at, at, uh, we have to be on the cushion at 420. And I said to myself, holy cow, how can I? There's no way I can do that. So I tried the first morning and uh I think I made it, but I was really miserable. So that afternoon, I was sitting talking to somebody, and it thought occurred to me that, and, and this worked. This is a thing that worked to help me. I I thought, hey, you know what? If I I just thought to myself, I'm going to take the attitude that if I don't get up, nobody's going to get up. Huh. If I don't get up, in other words, any, everybody getting up depends on me getting up. I took that in. I just made that up, and I took it in, and it worked. I, from then on, I didn't have any trouble. That's good. Yeah, I really like that's that. I really like that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll definitely include that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I will. Uh, I'll try. I think that's very good. That's the sort of thing I like for it. Uh, yeah, good. Good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's the only thing I can think of right now, but I thought you might like it. Yeah. Well, that is cool. That is cool. Um, I don't know where that came from. You know, I didn't, I didn't reference anybody. I didn't, uh, think of anything. It just occurred to me that I, I was kind of desperate, actually. I don't know how I can get up at four o'clock in the morning. I, I've never done that. How can I possibly do that? And um, just occurred to me that I have to do it because I'm here and I'm committed to be here. So how can I do it? Well, you know, what about all these other people? 
they need me to get up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And that's a skillful means, you know? Yeah. That's a good example of skillful means. Using skillful means in yourself. In other words, not trying to do something logical necessarily right. or that's absolutely factually true, but something that'll work. Uh, yeah. That's like Buddha's example of uh, skillful means uh, upaya was, uh, right. you, oh, you got to get the kids out of the building. It's burning. He said, well, you know, tell them you got toys for them. God, they'll run down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, and so that's yeah, not the, true. The, the, thing but, that, the, thing that, the thing that interests me about that story is I don't know where it came from. You know, there's no precedent in my life that ever, you know, I didn't have any rules about that. It just came out of the blue. Out of yeah. desperation, I suppose. Yeah. Well, uh, everything everything comes from, I don't know, where mysterious sources. <laughs> where, um, yeah, I feel like uh, my life is just channeling, channeling stuff from myself and others and the universe. And I don't know where things come from. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's, don't I, I don't try to understand things. Uh, I, no. I think, I think things are not understandable. I, I call it, we need to dispense with the tyranny of thinking. That's well said. Well said. Put it in its place. <laughs> it's, we, we need <laughs> right. it. Exactly. It's going to continue, but don't let it run the whole show. Yeah. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. I like that quote from Alan Watts. Also, I I think that's a uh, it's a it's a it's a good tool, but a poor master. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this has been great. Yeah. Well, it's been. I'm I'm so glad you reached out to me, and I'm glad we had a nice talk. And yeah, um, really nice to connect with you. And um, you know, I always have fond memories of you, and uh, so I'm really glad we're still connected. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. It's good. Paul, it has been a great pleasure speaking with you again. Uh, yeah, well, I'm so, so glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We, we we did a good number here. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. All right. Take care. Well, well, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. So thanks a lot, Paul Shippey. Most interesting. And... um I uh, maybe maybe I'll find the time to do that. Uh, I should learn how to be less violent. I notice whenever I have conversations, the people end up on the ground all bleeding and everything. Pardon me, that's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, let, let me give you his uh, website where you can uh, see about that uh, workshop. Uh, I think it's going to be on Tuesdays, starting uh, in uh, starting in like a, a, a little over a week from uh, today, which is Saturday, the fourth of November. Um, his website is paulshippe dot com. S h i p p e e p a u l s h i p p e e e. Did I say three e's there? P p e e 
Buddhism-Workshops.com and then just go to Workshops, Buddhism, and NVC. Okay. Thank you, Bill. This has been a Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggy Bandita Feline Kujita, but not Dear lovely Katrinka, who is now in America, son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughters. And later in December, we'll be with my son, mate, ex-mate, and two granddaughters from the... (laughs) Okay. So until then, we're wishing you and yours... And all of us a grand awakening.